Greetings, this is Austin Bridges welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 69. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community, and toward this end, has two websites the archive website llresearch.org and the community website bringforth.org. During each episode, we respond to questions sent to LR Research from spiritual seekers like you. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, Jim McCarty, and myself, each of us a devoted student of the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that enhances your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not the final word on these subjects. We ask each who listens to exercise their discernment and be sensitive to their resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please do so. This humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org podcast for further instructions. Again, I am Austin, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's podcast in the now. Gary and Jim, are you with us and ready to go? Yes, indeed. Happy to say I am. All righty. Um, today's question comes from Austin Bridges, <laughs> as a dedicated uh, supporter of the show. Um, and he would like to uh, ask and have a discussion about the harvest and the transition to fourth density. I think we've talked about this on the show a few times, sort of briefly, but we've never really gotten into an intensive discussion about the harvest and what the transition is. So I wanted to dedicate a show to that because I think it's a rich topic that a lot of people are interested in. Um, so to start our discussion, I think we should just uh, go to the baseline and talk about what exactly is harvest and the transition to fourth density and what is uh, our interpretation of how those things will happen because it seems like most people have their own kind of pet theory about it. So uh, starting there, um, let's go to Jim because I think he might have some good material ready because he just did a, a, a gave a talk in West Virginia about this topic. <laughs> Uh, the concept of harvest, I think, has been around for quite a while. If we go into areas of the planet such as the Middle East and the Far East and people who have been interested in astrology, they have been able to look into the heavens and um, not only get information from the alignment of planets and stars as to how cycles can occur within the solar system and the galaxy, but there's apparently also been communication that they've had with other entities uh, Ra mentioned there were entities from uh, Chaldea and Ur that were communicated with by uh, extraterrestrials and given information concerning astrology. So I think especially in India, they speak of uh, yugas and the Kali Yuga and various divisions of the what we would see as a 75,000 or 76,000 year cycle. They see it divided up into smaller cycles of 2,500 years. So there's always been a knowledge that there's a certain kind of... Um, cyclical movement of the stars that affects people on Earth, and that what Raw had to tell us was basically that uh, we have a chance here in this third density experience of 75,000 years, as that would any third density planet, to make uh, what they call a harvest or a graduation, to learn enough about how we open our green ray energy center. That would be the one that would take us into fourth density because right now we're in the third density, the yellow one's active. So what we need to do here in order to move forward from this density is open our hearts uh, in a way in which we are able to give uh, the nature of the heart, which is love, to those around us, uh, the universe around us and uh, all the entities around us. And this takes uh, a good deal of effort on our parts. We need to be able to use what Ra calls the, uh, the catalyst that comes to us every day. And this is the um, situations that we find ourselves in, the people we meet, the things we do, and what happens and how we partake in it, so that this can help us grow if we process this catalyst, if we begin to think about it, 
we, we contemplate, well, what did it mean when I had that argument with so-and-so today? Was there something I did I could have done better? Or uh, that sounded like an accident. You know, was that an accident? But it helped me. You know, it helped me get through this situation. So we look at different things that happen to us. And in our contemplations and meditations, perhaps even in prayers, we begin to try to make sense out of the world around us. I think every human being that has ever existed in the third density at some point wonders, what is this life all about? You know, how did I get here? You start asking the big questions. And once you start doing that, I think that that would qualify you as being a conscious seeker of truth. Before you start asking those questions, we're all just sort of going around um, semi-consciously, unconsciously, uh, bumping into things and maybe learning something here, maybe not there. But eventually, we do start asking the big questions. We do start pondering the possible um, use of our daily round of activities to propel us forward in our spiritual journey. So in order to be able to open our hearts up to giving and receiving love from everyone around us and everything around us, it it does take a good deal of work. And that apparently is what we need to do here uh, on planet Earth. We need to be able to open our hearts up to the degree that we give love as a response to any situation we're in at least 51% of the time, that we can see beyond the seeming disharmony or unfairness or uh, disorganization of the situation we're in and see that there is a reason for it and that every situation contains the creator and, and there is love present in every moment. So eventually we, we come to see that the proper response, if we want to grow and if we want to feel like we're growing and if we want to feel like we're in harmony with people is to give love. Even in situations where it doesn't look like it should be given, especially those situations, we need to be able to give love. So I think that's what we're doing here uh, in the third density. And if we can do that with uh, enough efficiency, 51% of the time, thoughts, words, and deeds, then we can make the graduation. And uh, that's my thought. How about you, uh, Gary? Yeah, like you were saying, um, the function of this evolutionary stage is the learning of love in one direction or another. Uh, Ra talks about a universe with various stages of evolution. And they say that we're in the third density of seven or eight, eight being the first of the next octave. And the whole point of this stage is to polarize our consciousness. And um, polarization is a pejorative term when applied in the political or social realms because it implies division and opposition. Um, And it it has that meaning, too, when speaking of polarization and consciousness, uh, except that the design, the very structure of this reality is to facilitate and encourage um, the individual entity to do just that, to polarize their consciousness in service to others or service to self. Those are two terms that Ra coined to help point to what it means. And um, we start out in third density, having graduated from second density life forms, and our consciousnesses are unpolarized. So as Jim was describing, if through the process of growing in a single lifetime, and through multiple lifetimes, we make use of this illusion, we make use of our catalyst, then we, we polarize. We learn to love others and ourselves, or we learn to love only the self and manipulate others. And if we succeed in that, and Jim described um, ways that Ra measures that success in terms of percentages, 51% service to others, 95% service to self, If we succeed through our incarnations, then we are able to enjoy a certain intensity of light and we may graduate. And in brief, uh, Ra says that there are three points to a master cycle of 75,000 years when intelligent infinity opens up and those who are ready to graduate can graduate. Ra says that happens at the close of every 25,000 year cycle. And then at the end of the thirty, rather, at the end of the third cycle, 
75,000 years, the whole planet goes through the process. And those who have successfully learned the lessons of service to others will graduate to a fourth density positive reality. Those who have learned service to self, 95% will go on to a negative fourth density planet. And those who have not succeeded in learning the very function of this density uh, will repeat their density, which is Ra, what Ra says has happened here. We have a lot of repeaters. Um, and according to Ra and other sources too, right now Earth is at the end of that 75,000 year. Third density is about, the curtains on third density are about to close. We're in the transition phase right now, and this planet will be born as a fourth density positive planet. Uh, my next topic was going to be something about how this is relevant to our spiritual paths, but I think that both of you kind of touched on that. Um, you both took the thread of the concept of polarization and uh, the idea of being able to attain this um, modicum of polarization by this date. Um, what about the distinction between harvest and the transition to fourth density. What does the transition to fourth density mean for our planet as opposed to like this harvest for us as individuals? What is our planet going to go through uh, as it transitions from third density to fourth density, Jim? Well, our planet has had this population or some portions of the population that's here now on it for 75,000 years. And as Gary said, a lot of these entities have been on other third-density planets and have failed to make the transition there at the appropriate time for their home planet. So they've come to Earth to try again. And some of the <laughs> there's still a problem here of trying to learn the law of love. And we don't seem to be able to be polarizing all that well. In fact, bellicosity, uh, warfare between one group and another, has been more the rule than... Uh, an oddity. We've had all kinds of uh, problems on this planet with disharmony between peoples, between families, between communities, so that there is a kind of, um, well, Rod described it as uh, entropy or unusable heat that has been generated. Uh, Rod took example of uh, one person, for example. If you have uh, temper of the tears and the anger and the confusion that continues to build, then it takes a while, but eventually this type of uh, response to your environment causes what Ross said was uh, cancer or other degenerative diseases because the purpose of the body is to maintain uh, growth and uh, the, the, the wellness of the body, the functions and the organs and so forth. And when you take this on a larger scale to the planet itself, then... When a great number of people are feeling these uh, energies and vibrations of distortion, of disharmony, of anger, of war, then this creates a great deal more of this unusable heat and this entropy that becomes absorbed into the crust of the planet. And as the fourth density vibrations come streaming in from the cosmos and begin to interact with the planetary vibrations, there is a mismatch. Uh, Planet Earth has these um, disharmonious vibrations that it has to kind of shake free. It has to uh, be able to blend with the cosmic streamings coming from uh, all around the universe here at this particular time as the clock strikes upon the hour, as Ross said, and the third density begins its uh, completion. So what happens is that there are various ruptures in the uh, integument, in the, the, the skin of the planet, and we see those as uh, volcanoes and earthquakes. And uh, this is a way that this uh, unusable heat is released. And it is rather, well, Rod described them as inconveniences, and they have been going on for some time now. So our planet is itself at this time, according to Ra, in fourth density. But the population of the planet is scattered between the lower energy centers, between the orange and the yellow, and some in green. So what we have is uh, an inability of the entire population to take the, the needle of the compass and point it in one direction. We're going in all kinds of different directions. 
And what it looks like is that uh, there's going to have to be a large number, a percentage of the planetary population repeat the third density elsewhere. But for the positive side of what's going on, Ra also said that uh, there have been other entities on other third density planets that have graduated that have been coming here since uh, the early 80s. Uh, back then, when we had the contact, Ross said there were 35,000 of them that had uh, dually activated bodies. The third and the fourth density body were activated, and they're here to help with the transition because it's obvious we need some help. And it's apparently a great honor to be able to come this early and to help with the transition, and they will eventually become part of the population of Earth's fourth density. So what's happening now is uh, the Earth itself is trying to get aligned so that it can be a, a proper home for the new fourth density population. And this is taking a little while, and Ross said it's really hard to tell a lot exactly how long it will take. Uh, they estimate anywhere from 100 to 700 years because of the volatility of a population. And so that's sort of where we are right now. Um, Gary, like Jim was just describing this difficulty or some difficulties that we might be going through. I think that, um, you might have been thinking a little bit about these considering at this past, uh, channeling, you asked a question about a quote that Ra, uh, or something that Ra said about a sharp increase in the negative polarity are individuals of negative polarity due to the delineation between third density and fourth density uh, conditions. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Like, uh, what was on your mind? And uh, if you remember what Kuo uh, responded, what were your opinions on that? Uh, as you and I have discussed when surveying the world, especially the political situation, and as many people are aware, there seem to be different information universes that people live in. Um, they've been called reality bubbles, and uh, it's been described how social media helps to reinforce those biases through its algorithms and so forth. But um, the divide between the perceptions of people seems to seems to encompass a massive chasm at times that there's little correspondence between um what this group thinks and what that group thinks to the extent that they seek almost different worlds there's um little shared common facts at least it seems that way so that quote that you just referred to uh had me wondering if this sharp delineation that Ra is describing is playing into our current um, fractured society with um, different camps seeing different things. And uh, from what I remember, Guo seemed to indicate that such is the case. Um, and they also described... Ah, yeah, and I remember. They described um, how some of that is... Uh, not only attributable to the current, the influx of fourth density energy, but also to the influence of and the input of service to self entities who intentionally want to um, confuse the playing board and create misinformation or mislead people or um, exploit fears and worries and concerns. Um, and Quo, I think, indicated how, as Ra also described, how those negative sources do not have much longer with us on this planet as it transitions into fourth density. But on a related thought, to expand a little bit further on your good question, um, Ra also describes elsewhere in the material how... The increase in fourth density energies, which, as Jim was indicating, call one into being a conscious being, into being aware of the needs of others, and call one into self-reflection, into facing the self for the first time. And because these energies are increasing on this planet and reality itself is changing, um, those who have not done work on themselves and consciousness, principally work in opening the heart, react to that energy with fear or um, 
of one manner or another, and they revert back from being more of a yellow ray activated being to an orange ray uh, activated being, where their their considerations are more concerned about the self and its need and needs uh, and its survival. Um, Ra says this is indicates that it's very prevalent on this planet and. Through that lens, if you look at our current social landscape, it helps, I think, to clarify things because you definitely see what I would call regressive energies at play around the world. And I think they are manifestations of this reverting back to an orange ray um, level of consciousness. And you see it manifested in certain isms like nationalism and uh, ethnocentricity and this us only that separates and pushes away from everybody else. It's it's a reaction to uh, the movement towards globalism and interconnectedness and sees only one's own tribe or identity. And um, I think that is very directly connected to the harvest as well. Yeah. Um, I would... I've got a few thoughts on that. Just quick clarification in that there are multiple definitions of globalism obviously yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of them being basically a corporate control of the globe the other one being a uniting of the peoples around the globe and i think that you probably meant the latter true <laughs> um there was a message received at one of the recent channeling circles the intensives it's sort of just practice channeling and not uh, the official channeling meditations about the conditions of fourth density uh, and their correlation to transparency. And I think it's sort of hinted at a lot in the law of one, and it's sort of uh, basically understood that fourth density conditions are one of complete transparency. Our thoughts and feelings are completely transparent to others and also to ourselves, which they aren't at uh, this point in time. Supposedly, the message basically being that a lot of the disharmony apparent disharmony that we're seeing and that is seems to be in the forefront of our culture is due to the fact that this transparency is actually um, present, but we as a people, as a culture, and as a planet don't have the capacity to properly perceive it in a harmonious way, and that it it creates more confusing conditions than clarified conditions when we aren't prepared for it, which I think is sort of what you were just talking about, and that um, people who haven't done the work necessarily, if you aren't um, going to be predisposed to loving others and loving yourself, then having the fullness of others' thoughts, feelings, and opinions open to you, and your own thoughts, feelings, and opinions open to you, will not cause a naturally loving situation. And I think that might also play a part in this, um, what you were talking about, these social bubbles, and the ability of service to self-individuals to basically weave confusion among peoples. There's this opportunity where people are thrown into a state of confusion, and confusion is a great opportunity to um, separate and divide and manipulate and control, I think. And then you, uh, very briefly, you talked about a regression happening, which is interesting. Uh, Ra talks about that, um, but also... Um, reading a bit of Ken Wilber's take on recent cultural um, events and revolutions, and his whole integral theory system uh, has built into it this concept of regression of the development of consciousness when development does not happen in a balanced or healthy way. So uh, at the leading edge of the evolution of consciousness if there is uh, something that is not integrated properly, it tends to revert back to lower stages. And you mm -hmm. use the word ethnocentricity, and that's actually one of the stages that he talks about. If the uh, global view, the um, world-centric view, is not properly integrated with the heart of love, then 
uh, we as a culture would tend to regress back to an ethnocentric sort of um, separated uh, tribal view. So um, that's a bit about the difficulties of uh, fourth density and what this transition might bring. Let's switch it to a more positive uh, discussion before we end the show. Um, Jim, can you think of any positive examples of fourth density manifesting in our world or that you see? Well, when you look around at what's going on today, I, mean, I think especially since uh, the last presidential election, that there has been a lot more uh, grassroots organization of people who are willing to work uh, in a way that maybe they weren't before because when you have a, a, a president like we've had in the past that um, maybe is more in tune with people's needs and willing to work to help people who are the downtrodden, uh, the, the less fortunate, the, the immigrants in our country, for example, uh, the minorities that need some help with uh, education, with uh, medical care, with housing, and so forth. Um, when there isn't a support as there usually is from the top of the government, then it has to come from somewhere else. And it's now seems to be more likely that it's coming from the grassroots. Our, our friend in uh, Seattle who does our transcribing for us, Erin, had a wonderful story about the uh, food kitchen that she works at. I think it was shortly after the last election was complete that there were some marches around the country, especially of women, that were uh, protesting the situation and wanting to find some ways of uh, supporting the people in their community. So um, Aaron went ahead and put out the, the pot that they have uh, donations put into just to see, you know, if they get anything as they went by. And after it was gone, there must have been a very large demonstration because she said it took a while to get by, but afterwards there was $10,000 in that pot from people who wanted to help out the food kitchen. And that was enough money to supply them probably for about a month. So, you know, that's one example. And I'm sure... There are many, many other examples around. Uh, Charles Eisenstein talks about this new paradigm that we're coming into where it's a, it's a, it's a blending of um, people's energies together. It's not the, the story of separation anymore. It's uh, what he calls the interbeing and people who are willing to organize in communities to, to help each other out and to do whatever works necessary. Uh, so I think possibly there is more individual uh, activation of social responsibility going on now than ever before because we seem to need it more than ever before. The, the situation we find ourselves in seems to be quite divisive and separating and a lot of anger and misunderstanding and cruelty happening in the world around us. We see it every day in the news. So I, I think that uh, people are really deciding now that it's time to do something to, to help out that maybe they haven't done before. So I think in a lot of ways uh, there's there's reason for great optimism because, uh, as Charles Eisenstein talks about, the, there really is a more beautiful world that our hearts know about, and it's contained within each one of us. And I think Ross supports that point of view when they say that there is love in every moment. And if you can do something in your life that is based on love, it doesn't matter how, what it was, you know, if you're... Uh, changing your, your baby's diapers or washing dishes or uh, repairing the toilet. If you do that with love, that love resonates with everyone else's love on the planet and helps everybody out just a little bit. And that's just you. So, you know, there's a lot of people who are doing things with love. They just they can't help it because they see it's the way. They have opened up their hearts enough to know that this is what they have to do. It's just like breathing. You don't have a choice. You, have to, you need to love. So as everybody does that, I think that we, we create more love that vibrates all over the planet. And since love is the reality, it is the path of that which is, that it has a far greater chance of uh, becoming rooted and expanding, whereas the, the cruelty and the separation between people is not the path of that which is. That's the path of that which is not. That's not the reality. That's what we've created here as an alternative to the reality because this is a confused planet, you know. <laughs> We're at kind of in the, the retrograde schooling, and we, we, we need some special uh, education. And I, I think that the, the special education is coming from, from people uh, at the grassroots level. How about you, Gary? 
I'm glad Jim said everything he said because I um, mine heads in the same direction. And before I proceed down that road, I wanted to reply real quickly to something you said, Austin. And okay. I think that's that the you discuss a notion of transparency, and I think that is super salient to this moment in time because that is a very clarifying lens to help us understand what's happening. Um, transparency, you can see it happening on a societal level. Like when you see, um, especially in this country, uh, we've seen more about racial injustice and sexual harassment and misogyny and gender inequality coming to the surface onto the public radar in ways that it never has before. And we're seeing more about political corruption through leaks and um, things like WikiLeaks leaking the Panama Papers and, and things like that. That which was hidden is coming into the light. And it's the same within the self. Like Austin, you said you can't. Um, you're not uh, you're not able to hide um, from yourself anymore. That transparency is happening within. And a lot of people aren't ready for that level of transparency because there are things that they haven't faced and haven't dealt with and repressed and so forth. So anyways, it's just one way to understand the situation. So uh, you asked about signs of fourth density, and I have some material to share with you guys. It's going to include some reading, so bear with me about three, three and a half minutes. But um, it starts with something that we all read in The More Beautiful World, Our Hearts Know is Possible by Charles Eisenstein. And uh, he said in that book, and it was the first time I really heard it articulated it this way, a recognition of alliance is growing among people in diverse areas of activism, whether political, social, or spiritual. The holistic acupuncturist and the sea turtle rescuer may not be able to explain the feeling we are serving the same thing, but they are. Both are in service to an emerging new story that is defining that is the defining mythology of a new kind of civilization. Um, that really hit me and spoke to me because it's, it speaks about this um, united effort that doesn't appear united. People are focusing in specialized ways, but they're all on the same mission, working towards the same goal, more or less, maybe without knowing it, but having some kind of feeling about it. And then I found this new book um, called Blessed Unrest. And I forget the subtitle. It describes how the largest social movement in history is changing the planet or something. And it was written six years prior to The More Beautiful World by an individual named Paul Hawken. And I was reading his introduction uh, just a few weeks ago and was just in tears at what he was saying. And that's what I want to read to you guys. Um, it starts out talking about his journey and he so paul hawken is uh, an environmentalist i guess you could call him and over the course of like 15 years he gave a thousand talks and he describes how as his uh talks began to mirror his deeper understanding that he got more business cards from people he said five to thirty cards per speech and he would come back home with hundreds of them um representing people's different causes and works and he said, I would lay them on the table on, in my kitchen, read the names, look at the logos, envisage, envision <laughs> the missions, and marvel at the scope and diversity of what groups were doing on behalf of others. And he said, over the course of years, these began to accumulate into the thousands. And uh, he, when he would glance at them, he came back to one question. Did anyone truly appreciate how many groups and organizations were engaged in progressive causes? At first, this was a matter of curiosity on my part, but it slowly grew into a hunch that something larger was afoot, a significant social movement that was eluding the radar of mainstream culture. So Paul Hawkins says he begins to count, and he initially, initially estimates that there were 30,000 environmental organizations around the globe. And then he says when he added social justice and indigenous people's rights organizations that the number exceeded 100,000. And he realized that what he was seeing has never been, there's never been anything equal to this movement in scale or scope, past or present. And then as he dug further, he says, in trying to pick up a stone, I found the exposed tip of a much larger geological formation. I soon realized that my initial estimate of 100,000 organizations was off by at least a factor of 10. And I now believe that there are over one and maybe even two million organizations working toward ecological sustainability and social justice. By any conventional definition, this vast collection of committed individuals does not constitute a movement. 
Movements have leaders and ideologies. People join movements, study their tracks, and identify themselves with a group. Movements, in short, have followers. This movement, however, doesn't fit the standard model. It is dispersed, inchoate, and fiercely independent. It has no manifesto or doctrine, no overriding authority to check with. It is taking shape in schoolrooms, farms, jungles, villages, companies, deserts, fisheries, slums, and yes, even fancy New York hotels. One of its distinctive features is that it is tentatively emerging as a global humanitarian movement arising from, as Jim was describing, the bottom up. Historically, social movements have arisen primarily in response to injustice, inequities, and corruption. Those woes still remain legion, joined by a new condition that has no precedent. The planet has a life-threatening disease marked by massive ecological degradation and rapid climate change. As I counted the vast number of organizations, it crossed my mind that perhaps I was witnessing the growth of something organic, if not biologic. Skip ahead a little bit. I sought a name for the movement, but none exist. I met people who wanted to structure or organize it, a difficult task since it would easily be the most complex association of human beings ever assembled. Many outside the movement critique it as powerless, but that assessment does not stop its growth. When describing it to politicians, academics, and business people, I found that many believe they are already familiar with this movement, how it works, what it consists of, and its approximate size. They base their conclusion on media reports about Amnesty International, the Sierra Club, Oxfam, or other venerable institutions. They may be directly acquainted with a few smaller organizations and may even sit on the board of a local group. For them and others, the movement is small, known, and circumscribed, a new type of charity with a sprinkling of ragtag activists who occasionally give it a bad name. People inside the movement can also underestimate it, basing their judgment on only the organization they are linked to, even though their networks can only encompass a fraction of the whole. But after spending years researching this phenomena, including creating with my colleagues a global database of its constituent organizations, I have come to the conclusion this is the largest social movement in all human history. No one knows its scope, and how it functions is more mysterious than meets the eye. What does meet the eye is compelling. Coherent, organic, self-organized congregations involving tens of millions of people dedicated to change. When asked at colleges if I am pessimistic or optimistic about the future, my answer is always the same. If you look at the science that describes what is happening on Earth today and aren't pessimistic, you don't have the correct data. If you meet the people in this unnamed movement and aren't optimistic, you haven't got a heart. <laughs> What I see are ordinary and some not-so-ordinary individuals willing to confront despair, power, and incalculable odds in an attempt to restore some semblance of grace, justice, and beauty to this world. And just a couple more thoughts here. Almost done. He describes his book saying, This is the story without apologies of what is going right on this planet. Narratives of imagination and conviction, not defeatist accounts about the limits Wrong is an addictive, repetitive story. Right is where the movement is. Inspiration, garnered from the recitation of what is flawed. <clears throat> I skipped ahead a little bit. It resides rather in humanity's, humanity's willingness to restore, redress, reform, rebuild, recover, reimagine, and reconsider. Consider, consider, means with the stars. Reconsider means to rejoin the movement of heaven and life. The emphasis is on humanity's intention, because human humans are frail and imperfect. He quotes somebody as saying, uh, well, he says, and it is not just the poor, but people of all races and classes everywhere in the world. Quote, one day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice. And final sentence. Part of what I learned concerns an older, quiescent history that is re-emerging, what poet Gary Snyder calls the Great Underground, a current of humanity that dates back to the Paleolithic. Its lineage can be traced back to healers, priestesses, philosophers, monks, rabbis, poets, and artists, quote, who speak for the planet, for other species, for interdependence, a life that courses under and through and around empires. So after reading that back to you guys, what do you think he is seeing without n quite knowing what it is? Here comes the fourth density. <laughs> um, 
thank you for sharing that. Um, it is great that both of you brought up this um, concept of people organizing and the ability for people to organize, or not even just organize, but sort of uh, this this movement of an invisible hand sort of guiding people in this direction of uh, positivity. Um, it sounds like most of what he was talking about with that social movement deals with sustainability and care of the planet. And I think to put that in terms of the law of one, that's sort of always how I've seen the onset of fourth density is that it will be something that happens naturally and we're not really going to see something massive happen outside of us but then you can sit down and uh, take stock of all these motivations and desires that people have and realize that these motivations and desires are coming from something larger that they are no longer personal they're no longer individual or separated that there is literally another thing that is moving us to serve in this way. And that thing could be what Ra calls a social memory complex, or I think an even better way to describe it would be the social memory complex's relationship with the planet. I think Ra kind of hints at the the planet and the, the entities on it not necessarily being distinct in their existence. The social memory complex would include the planet itself, and the planet itself, in a certain sense, is an alive and aware and conscious being. And one of the biggest tasks, I think, that we'll have moving into fourth density is the healing of this uh, being that has sustained us through our destructive third density. And in that, some of the earliest signs of fourth density will probably be what you were just describing, Gary, this massive movement of a lot of individuals not realizing that they are all actually doing the same thing. And in a lot of sense, or in, in a big sense, I think that they are all sort of having the same thought. The desire that they have to heal the planet is not a bunch of individual desires to heal the planet. It is one unified desire coming from the same place. And I think that's... Uh, that's a really beautiful thing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, do either of you have any further thoughts on the subject before we close out the show? Well, I think that um, what Ra had to say about the possibilities are leaning heavily towards uh, a small harvest in the fourth density with most of the planet population needing to repeat third density elsewhere. But, as they said, there is one little container in that store of peace, love, light, and joy. A wild card possibility. Could your planet polarize positively toward harmony in one fine, strong moment of inspiration? Yes, my friends, it is not probable, but it is ever possible. And, um, I... I concur with this idea that there is something bigger moving all of us uh it's not coordinated or organized from the top nobody is uh is dictating per se but everybody is tapping into something deeper and awakening to a need to help as you said heal in a way that is unique to their talents and their geography and their local community. And I think it's almost as if there is a, there's an invisible conductor and we are all right now seemingly scattered notes. And the more that we awaken to our own note and the more sensitized we become, the more we hear the song and the more that we all come together in a melody, and uh, right now that seems relative to mainstream media to be latent, uh, hidden, or on the fringe. But I think the trajectory is is that that will become more apparent, especially to the people who are connected to this energy, for lack of a better term. 
and it requires everybody. There may be various leaders in various fields, but uh, every voice is needed. It is truly a global collective effort. And that is one of the defining hallmark characteristics of the densities succeeding our own is the group. We stop being individuals entirely. The individuality is not sacrificed and we become a group consciousness. And that is our, our movement. And, uh, earlier us and you said, you were wondering like, how does it, uh, this notion, how does knowing about harvest connect to our lives? Because there's so many abstract philosophical concepts uh, discussed in Confederation philosophy and does this have any relevance to our life? And um, I would offer a thought there and then close my own thoughts with a with a quo quote. And I would say that it it does have great significance to our life to have conscious knowledge of the time we're living in because in that knowledge then you cast your gaze outward and you can firstly like we're doing in this episode we can see more of the same. We can see what's happening. And we can also turn to the globe and see the suffering and the pain and realize that we are here to help with us, help with that. We become sensitive to the calling for that help and the times we're living in then motivate us to step up to the plate and to shift our focus from seeking our own gratification or, or our own diversions and instead seeing the opportunities for service around us. And we can get out of nurturing our own sense of victimhood from the, the pains that we have taken in on this planet and convert that into the desire to help heal others and heal ourselves and, and respond to the needs of others as best as we can. Um, and there are three uh, Quo transcripts where we asked questions about this transition and how it will unfold and some of its principles that, for the interested listener, I'll cite here. Uh, they include February 6, 2016, February 26, 2017, and December 3, 2016. And in that final channeling, there's actually multiple things of of an inspirational quality I could read, but this is one of my favorites I'm going to read. It is two paragraphs. Quo says, So you begin your song silently, perhaps it bubbles up within your heart and makes its way to your very lips, whereupon it becomes a melody which inspires a memory, another to sing along with you. And when the song becomes a chorus, and when it begins to feel the fill the ears and the minds and the hearts of one more whose memory resonates with this song, that energy complex will begin to vibrate differently, will begin to vibrate as a social memory complex. And then, at that point, you will be well on your way toward entering a new dawn of experience. It is the dawn that awaits you. It is the dawn that lies on the other side of this darkness. The darkness can be seen as impediment or the darkness can be seen as prelude to this dawn. As we have suggested, the choice is yours. You are creatures of free will. You are creatures each of infinite worth. And it is our hope for you, and it is our confidence in you that you will find your way. Thank you. Um, Jim, did you have... You mentioned reading something. Did you have something that you wanted to read? Uh, no, I think we passed the time where that would be uh, appropriate. Okay. Sounds good. Do you have any uh, final words for our listeners then? Yeah. Um, this year, night, or 2018, is the uh, 50th anniversary of the founding of l l Research by Don and Carla back in November of 1968. And one of their first, um, I guess you say, images that they uh, looked to as a manifestation of what, a representation of what LNL Research stood for was the uh, the picture that uh, of Don Quixote and his uh, sidekick Sancho Panza. They were uh, tilting at windmills. The windmills they saw as the agents of darkness. And if they could rid the earth of the agents of darkness, then there would be love and light in the world. And this is the impossible dream, the man of La Mancha. And this is what uh, LNL Research was founded for uh, hoping to accomplish, the impossible dream. So... Um, 
We hope all our listeners will keep sending us these questions to get us to talk about this material, to get you to talk about it, and to help us all open our hearts in love and in light and bring light to where there is darkness. Whenever you're walking through your daily round of activities and you're wondering, how do I respond to this person? Try love. When in doubt, love. And we all will help to bring each other home. You've been listening to LL Research's podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your questions. And uh, if you would like to hear us ramble on about a particular topic, uh, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org slash podcast. New episodes are published to the Archive website every other Wednesday for the most part afternoon, uh, Eastern. Have a wonderful couple of weeks, and we will talk with you next time. Oh.